there was a lot of music in Seinfeld that was not thematic. Larry came to recognize that he could go to me for gags. And I loved when they let me throw in and be part of the comedy. There are all these pieces of music that instantly identify a scene. I don't know, the music from Kramer's Pimp Walk. Jerry the Mailman, remember he's whistling. Oh, in the pastiche practice, Morty was impeached. It was like the, the Nixon movie. So I played it like the Nixon movie, Rochelle, Rochelle, the musical. Of course, the Jerry show, <laughs> Scarsdale Surprise. It's a fake title and a fake theme, and they were fake Tony Awards. Oh, my favorite, Flaming Globes of Sigmund. 50% of the post-audio value is certainly music. There's looping and crowds and dialogue editing. There's sound effects and music. Thanks for joining me for part two of my interview with Jonathan Wolf, creator of the iconic sounds and music we've come to love in Seinfeld. We discussed how the freedom he was given to experiment and create helped to produce an absolutely unforgettable show. The characters are great, the writing is awesome, but the very first thing that draws you in to even pay attention to the show in the first place is that theme. That truly unique and special theme that has become part of our culture. Welcome to the Sound and Marketing Podcast. I think the key takeaway for what you're just saying is the theme comes first. Sometimes it comes before even visual. So you're hearing this representation of a show before you're seeing it. And this is what I kind of preach to marketers is that your sound is telling the story before sometimes someone even sees your visual representation. It's so powerful. I mean, that's that's a given. It is powerful. But it's first. You need to have the right representation for what your story is, what you're about to talk about through the sound that you're representing. And that's why all of these themes that you were mentioning, they bring about not only the memory of the show, it tells a story within seconds. It just baffles me how people don't, they don't realize that. They don't realize that it's not just about their show. It's about what their show sounds like. The TV music, as you're saying, even when heard separately from the TV show, it can act as an ambassador to the world. It adds value to the broadcast of the show. Like, you know, let's look at, again, I wrote the Seinfeld theme, so that's the one I'm most comfortable with. This weird, and it's weird, globally popular entertainment phenomenon of Seinfeld theme mashup videos. Turns out Seinfeld music, when mashed up with, well, anything, constitutes excellent clickbait. Because <laughs> of the name? And it's great. I don't know. If you do this, anyone who's listening, just take a minute and look up Seinfeld theme mashups. I'm going to do that. And you're going to get a half a million hits. You know, one of my favorites was, is the Kenrick Lamar. Uh, Kunta, the King Kunta mashup with it's just really good. And Notorious B.I.G. did one, and some oh Fred Durst did one, oh. Lift the Biscuit, and it works pretty good. <laughs> uh, somebody did Kanye West's Sanye, Sanye, <laughs> where they took Kanye West ranting about something and put my music underneath it, and it became I don't know millions of views of this. So it's just a weird thing. And there's mm -hmm. all these others: Radiohead, Evanescence. Uh, ODB, Vanilla Ice, all these weird mashups. 
And another practice popped up. Seinfeld music placed into serious, dramatic movies oh and TV goodness. shows for comedy, you know, to make it funny. Right, right. Too many lists. Like people would take Game of Thrones, like the serious, heaviest death scene on Game of Thrones, and put my music to it just for fun. And notice in all these mashups, Jerry's not in them, Jason, Julia, Michael, none of them are in them. It's just the music. And yet the connection is to Seinfeld. I can't remember who it was. It was either Steven Spielberg or um, uh, George Lucas. They said 50% of the movie experience is sound. There's a guy whose composer is John Williams. So it's probably well, true yeah. there. If you have bad music, it's going to affect your show. You know, <laughs> if you have a bad show and good music, you know, the music might shine through or something, but the show itself is just going to not be good. They have to they have to marry to each other. So it's a 50-50 situation. So if people are focusing just on, you know, what what their what their brand or what their show or what their um form of communication is visually and they're ignoring what it is auditorily, they're they're missing out. They're not going to have a true sincere representation of what they want to portray. They're missing half of it. I'll go this far that 50% of the post audio value is certainly music. You got a lot of post audio. There's, there's looping and crowds and dialogue editing. There's sound effects and music. The, the wonderful thing about what you did was, yes, there was a baseline and there was a musical aspect to it, but I consider the finger snaps and the pops and all of that, that is just as much part of the theme song as anything else, and that's sound. So there's so many ways that you can you can put this forward. Even if you don't want a um, truly musical piece uh, portrayed into whatever you are portraying, you can still use sound to your advantage. There's just so many limitless possibilities. I was the composer on 75 primetime network TV series. Not all of them were precious gems. And not all of them had unique music. Sometimes it was my job to do generic music. Make it sound like it doesn't matter how the sentence ends. Mm. It's derivative music already because it starts with make it sound like. When I was able to, I liked doing what you're saying, creating a, a sonic environment that speaks specifically about that show like a signature so whenever I could I did that sometimes you know I didn't have to create a new sound for it for Will and Grace the sound of that show the music sound of that show is piano solo piano uh, it was born about because I knew these guys Dave and Max wonderful writers but they had this habit they'd call me from editing saying look we know we owe you a cut three hours ago, but there's a lot of dialogue in this episode. We're running into some trouble. I'm sorry, you're not going to get a cut. You know, that's okay. I'll see you at the next. And they'd be happy and, oh, we love you. When Will and Grace came around and I started seeing these 50-page scripts, <laughs> but guys, there's 50 pages of dialogue here. Yeah, I'm never getting a cut, am I? 50 you know, pages? Oh, my god! Well, there were these ridiculously thick, I mean, it's a 22-minute show. You're going to have to cut a lot of this down, and you're going to spend extra time in editing doing it. So I'm never going to get my cut. And they said, well, that's fair. So I said, tell you what, how about I play piano? I can do it in real time. Give me your show, and in 22 minutes, I'll give it back to you with music. Wow, I bet they loved that. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was fun. I said, come on over, let's get a theme that works with that. And they sat there while I improvised 
a bunch of themes. So, you know, I did six or seven. I recorded all of them, and they picked one of them. And that was what is now still in current run the Will and Grace theme that I improvised in front of the execs. And the way it worked for every episode was I would sit at the piano, I'd be watching the TV show and hearing it and looking at the EDL, they had a decision list, so I knew when a transition was coming up and I'd lean my head over the keys and music would fall out onto them. And in that way, I was able to do the shows without getting a you know, without advance while prelay was going on. Remember, this is before fully digital audio, so you used to have to do prelay. Mm-hmm. So while that was going on, I was doing the music. And we mixed at Warner. The Warner dub stage was adjacent to a scoring stage where they had this beautiful piano, always mic'd, always tuned. And there were times when I, there just wasn't enough time for me to even do that. And I would show up at the mix in the other room with a pair of headphones, do the music live on the, the dub stage. Anyone oh, who's listening to this, don't do that. That's a really <laughs> inefficient way to score a picture. <laughs> Would you say that um, your mindset and the, the way you approach things for Seinfeld prepared you for things like Will and Grace and the other, the other shows that you went on to afterwards? Once Seinfeld gained a following, season four or so, when they gave us a time slot finally. We didn't even have a time slot, by the way. And when we finally got a time slot, and it was a, a, an excellent time slot, Thursday night, after Cheers, and people started noticing this show. So there was all these episodes of Seinfeld that had never been seen before. And that made our syndication package more valuable and immediate. Once Seinfeld became a cult following, and it was not a hit show yet, but once it had a following, then Hollywood, as you know, is a Me Too town. But not the hashtag, but if somebody's having success at something, other people go, oh, let's do that too. And I became Flavor of the Month, the composer that people wanted because of Seinfeld. And I stayed composer the Flavor of the Month for about 10 years. So that is what Seinfeld really did for me. Definitely. It made me in demand so that I had too much work for to handle for myself. Now, Seinfeld... Also, you said was a good training somehow. The answer is yes. I mean, there was a lot of music in Seinfeld that was not thematic. It was, you know, Larry came to recognize that he could go to me for gags. And I loved when they let me throw in and be part of the comedy. I said I'm retired, but I can go ahead and plug this. Next year, Warner plans to release a Seinfeld soundtrack album. Next year, which is 2021, the release will hopefully coincide with Netflix premiering Seinfeld for the first time, where if you want to stream Seinfeld, there in theory will be a soundtrack album with all of this non-thematic music on it. There are all these pieces of music that instantly identify a scene. I don't know the music from Kramer's Pimp Walk. Oh, yes. Are you a, are uh-huh. you a Seinfeld person, Gina? I am. Okay. Yes, I am. You instantly know what I'm talking about. And uh-huh. If you heard that music, you would picture Kramer dressed in that coat of many colors. Jerry the Mailman. Remember, he's whistling. Oh, in the pastiche practice. We had so many pastiche moments when Morty was impeached. He left Del Boca Vista with regal dignity. And it was, it was like the, the Nixon movie. So I played it like the Nixon movie. 
it's a long, long, long list of funny, and some of it's terrible music, by the way. <laughs> but it works. You're, you're proving the point that the music took on a character of its own. And when um, those involved with the show came to you for support of the show to do like the licks and all of the stuff, it reinforces the importance of the sound and the music that you came up with. And, and I'm sure as it went, it probably got easier and easier for you to just kind of go, oh, th well, this would work for this. And oh, I could pull this. And just because, you know, you're, you're a part of this process. So you're there for nine seasons and you've been following this show and you grew up with the show. I mean, I know you had a lot of gigs before it, but this like really put your name on the map, I would imagine. <laughs> um, it, it certainly have. Well, who's the boss and married with children? Yes. Put my yes. name on the map. But this certainly splattered it across continents. And Larry is a very musical guy. He knows a lot of music and he loves music. Tom Sharonis, the director, very musical guy. Mm -hmm. So it was perfectly natural for Larry to trust me to write, you know, the song for Rochelle, Rochelle, the musical. Somebody had to create the music for all of those other fake productions. They were in a movie theater and you hear Rochelle, Rochelle, the movie. I, I take it you wrote the theme song for Jerry also. Oh, of course, the Jerry show. <laughs> exactly. Larry, Larry uh, Charles gave me that instruction. He just said, this is happy generic sitcom music. You know, <laughs> Friday night, Miller Boyette. I got this. I'll be back in an hour. Thank you for recognizing that yes. that was part of the joke, that it was a generic sitcom. Absolutely. I think that that was probably my favorite storyline of all of them was when they, <laughs> they created the show about nothing. Like it was such a mirror of what, they, what the show was. It was brilliant. It was Larry flexing his muscles, like Scarsdale Surprise. They played that music at the Tony Awards over and over again, but it's a fake title and a fake theme, and they were fake Tony Awards, and that was my music. And Checkmate, and Blimp. Oh, my favorite of all of these, Flaming Globes of Sigmund. Larry David on screen in a, in a like metallic space suit and goggles. It was a late night bad sci-fi horror movie that Jerry was half asleep and he turned on. And we see Larry, you know, Sigma and the flame, the globes are all aflame. Just as and so I got to create that music. That's my favorite one, just because we actually see the fake production. And it's Larry. What themes nowadays do you feel are unique and groundbreaking that help steer a show into a culture? For example, I, I think The Office did that pretty well, but that's my opinion. <laughs> my good friend, Paul Buckley, he is now working as a full-time composer, and he has a show on Apple called Helpsters. The music is a key ingredient on this show, and he is just killing it. Mm. He's just so good, it's annoying. <laughs> um, and then my wife and I, we've been binge-watching Ozark and The Outsider, and the composers, uh, Danny Benzi and Sonder Jurians. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, because I don't know these guys, but I really like that they are out of the box in their scoring styles. Looking back a bit, I, I love the sound of the Sherlock music. Oh, that was so good. Oh, my God. David gosh. Arnold and Michael Price. Yeah. It's kind of retro and period sounding for a show that's not. And I just really like it. It, it feels like caper music mm -hmm. to me. Um, anything by 
Thomas Newman is going to fit into that category. And he has a, a series called Castle Rock. Looking backwards, I loved Bear McCreary's work on Walking Dead. I think that really gave it a good sonic stamp. Jeff Beale, who is way too good. House of Cards. House of Cards. Uh-huh. Anything Jeff does is just spectacular. There is an exciting time it is. to be a composer because, boy, there's, the, the palette is just unlimited. I think also um, why it's critical to break out of the box now more than ever is because of the different technology that we have. Something that I have been researching a lot about is smart speakers, and they're trying to figure out programming for smart speakers. And there was something for Westworld, I guess they had, I think it was called The Maze, and it was mostly for people that already watched the show, which I haven't, but it was basically a from what I understand, it was kind of a choose your own adventure kind of thing where you went into this story with characters. There's like 20 some voices from the actual wow. show. And you Companion went through programming. Yeah. Wow, and, I love that. And, and they were like going through these motions and going through whatever this um, intense thing was. And, you know, if you're already a fan of the show, I'm sure it's riveting. So the way that I see it is if you can come up with something out of the box, it's more important than ever. Because what if your show gets picked up for one of these new technology items like a smart speaker? How how are you going to shine through? How is your programming going to shine through? The sound and the music. That's what's going to hold people. That's what's going to grip them to want to come back because it's not visual at all. When I was starting Seinfeld, there was no digital audio. 1989, there was no Pro Tools yet. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about technologies that came about after I retired. There was no YouTube when I retired. No Facebook. So I've had to kind of stumble along with these things. And you asked about those composers whose work I admire. That's one of the reasons why I'm most happy to be retired, that I don't have to compete (laughs) with those giants. Talking to people who score uh, video game music, that Uh just completely blows my mind. The way that they have to write, because it's you know, the the outcomes are different for each gamer. So you have to create this music that's loopable and that it builds yeah. and that it, you know, sustains a bit. And you've got to have all these things built in. I do not understand how it is. Um, I may be younger than you, but I also did not grow up in the area era of having all of this technology. Just learning as this stuff kind of morphs into what it is has been absolutely fascinating. And there is no way to keep up with it. You just have to, you know, when you were talking talking about, um, you know, getting yourself out of the pile and um, creating something that was just you. You know, you wanted a representation that only you could do this. That's the same thing with the um, sound technology that's happening right now. There's no way you're yeah. going to get all of it, but find out what you're good at and go for it. A couple of my people at my company were doing in their free time video games Mm -hmm. and just the technical demands required a higher level of understanding and intelligence in the composers with so much distance and time between the Seinfeld production years and my life today Mm -hmm. I'm actually able to view the show much differently from when I was working on it every week so now like you I'm just another Seinfeld fan with really funny stories about it I go on as a fan on Instagram. My Instagram, by the way, is Seinfeld Music Guy. So if you're listening, give me a follow. 
I because that's what I do. I I go into all these Seinfeld fan Instagram postings and leave nuggets. I love it. I love it when that sort of thing happens. I was a huge fan of The Office when it was when it was airing, and now there's a podcast called The Office Ladies. And I don't know if you've checked this out or not, but it's uh, Angela and uh, Pam from the the characters, Angela and Pam from The Office. And the two of them just like prattle on and talk about like the behind the scenes experiences and they're going episode by episode. And it's just so much fun. So much fun when the that. people from the inside are telling like little nuggets to the rest of us that appreciate and love the show so much. So thank you for and doing that. Do they that. make stuff up? Uh, I'm sure some of it they make up probably to make themselves sound better. <laughs> Jonathan Wolf, thank you so much for joining us on the Sound and Marketing Podcast. I had a blast. I hope you had fun too. Thank you so much. Gina, thank you. It was really a blast. I'm so glad you were able to join me as I wrapped up my interview with Jonathan Wolf. Do yourself a favor and Google Seinfeld mashup after this. Jonathan was right. It's hilarious. Marketing for a brand can be very much like marketing for a show. The theme song of a show is the calling card. It's the first sell. For those brands that choose to take on exploring their sound and sonic brand identity, they're given this unique opportunity to do a pre-sale, a soft pitch to introduce their consumers to what they are about to present. Remember, we all make sounds. Let's make them on purpose. For more of the Sound and Marketing Podcast, don't forget to follow, subscribe, and share. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Stitcher. For inquiries on producing and developing your own podcast, or for inquiries on sonic branding and sonic branding consultation availabilities, you can find me at Dreamer Productions. That's D-R-E-A-M-R Productions.com, LinkedIn, and Facebook. You can also email me at Gina, J-E-A-N-N-A, at DreamerProductions.com. All links will be provided in the show notes. This episode was produced by Dreamer Productions and hosted, written, and edited by me, Gina Isham. Let's make this world of sound more intriguing, more unique, and more and more on brand.